We've got wildlife in the big city and in the suburbs all over the place. I mean, you wouldn't think that, but we truly do. Dr. Seth Magley is the director of the Urban Wildlife Institute at the Lincoln Park Zoo. Dr. Magley, welcome to WGN. Hi. Hi, thanks so much. Happy Easter. Well, the same to you. Thank you very much. I, I, I guess that's a good spot to begin. I hadn't planned on this, but bunny rabbits. <laughs> so there's two kinds. There's the domestic rabbit. We don't want those rabbits to be outdoors. They won't survive. But let's talk about rabbits that are outdoors. They are all over the place because rabbits do uh, <clears throat> reproduce like rabbits do. Are they a good thing to have around or not? I don't think they're a threat to people, maybe a threat to our gardens, perhaps, Dr. Magley. Yeah, they're not a threat to people. They're absolutely a threat to our plantings, as you point out. And at the zoo, I can tell you they drive our horticulture staff absolutely crazy (laughs) um, because they can do a lot of damage. But as far as are they a good thing or a bad thing, I mean, like a lot of our wildlife species, um, they're kind of a fact of life. They're they're a part of our city. We're not going to get rid of them anytime soon. Sometimes it bears thinking about how we're going to manage them and, and live alongside them, but they're here and they're here to stay. Well, another thing that is here, and maybe in greater numbers, you can tell me, uh, are coyotes. And people are sometimes concerned on several different levels that I want to ask you about. So do we personally need to be worried about coyotes attacking adults? Do we need to worry about coyotes attacking our pets? Yeah, I don't want to say that we should be worried because those events are very rare where a coyote will attack a person or a pet. But because they do happen, I do think it's worth being aware and being alert uh, to your surroundings when you walk around your community. And certainly it's worth keeping your dogs on leash and your cats indoors if you can do that because coyotes certainly can attack uh, pets. But there are instances as well where they've attacked children and even in some cases adults. Usually that's because someone has been feeding that coyote or some other uh, they've had some kind of other interaction with humans that's not really good, that's not really a useful interaction, and that will lead them to those kinds of behaviors because 99% of coyotes will not attack people. Um, that's absolutely true. But it's always worth being aware of your environment when you walk around. and If you see a coyote, you should know where it is. Well, I think coyotes have adjusted well to life in the big city uh, because there are all sorts of images. I've I live near Wrigley Field, and I remember once <laughs> it was like 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock at night. I'm just walking down Addison, and I'm seeing – then I look again. It's not a dog. This is a coyote. Actually, there were two of them crossing the street as if, okay, they were actually waiting for the light to turn green. <laughs> that must have been a coincidence. I don't know. And they're just leisurely joining everyone else who's bar hopping. And I'll tell you, in that neighborhood, no one really paid attention. But there's strange things happen around there. Just two coyotes, no big deal. However, the reason in part why they're there, I suspect, is because people either feed them or on purpose or by mistake. On purpose, meaning uh, clearly they feed, you know, they're offering food. But more often by mistake in that we make the food readily available, uh, the restaurants, for example, don't cover the trash, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. I do want to say, as far as watching for a green light, it's possible. There are studies that have shown that they've mastered the art of looking both ways really? before they cross streets. I have not heard of them waiting for a green light, but if I, if I learned that, I would not be surprised. They're so adaptable, and they've done such a great job of learning how to really thrive in our cities. That's absolutely true. But as far as what they're eating, um, 
We said for years that coyotes are not like raccoons. They're not dumpster divers. They're not eating trash. But unfortunately, in the last few years, that has started to change, and they have started to develop a taste for human garbage. And originally, we used to say they eat mostly, well, bunny rabbits and squirrels and things like that. And for a lot of them, that's still true. Um, now, the, the two that you saw, what were they eating in that neighborhood? I'm not sure. It, it definitely could have been garbage since we are starting to see that behavior in them. Um, but I'm going to hope, you know, sometimes when I would see some down by museum campus or something, I'd think, well, there's so much grass there. There's so much green space. Hopefully, they're eating squirrels and rabbits and the sorts of things we'd kind of like them to eat. Or, or, or city rats, of which Chicago named the rattiest city. Hooray! <laughs> Yes, that's right. So we actually host a project called the uh, Chicago Rat Project. We're trying to understand all different aspects of rats in the city, why we are called the rattiest city. And just as a brief aside, I'll say that's Orkin who has made that up, and they they say it based on complaint. So what that really means is that we complain more about rats than any other city, uh, at least to Orkin. Uh, But we definitely have a lot of rats. And so we've launched this project to try to understand which neighborhoods have a lot of rats, why is that, And in many cases, it just has to do with how we stash our trash. When we don't secure our garbage, especially a facility like a restaurant that produces a lot of food garbage, uh, that just becomes a haven for rats. And it's something we all really need to work on. Mm -hmm. And rats are not completely benign. I know that as a result of there being, whether it's the rattiest city or in the top 10, it doesn't much matter. We have a lot of them in Chicago. But then so does New York. So does San Francisco. So does New Orleans. I mean, all the major cities do have lots and lots of rats, and therefore lots and lots of something called leptospirosis, which dogs can get from rats. Uh, The rat just does what the rat does by urinating in a puddle or uh, any body of water, as long as it's not salt water. The dog walks through it and licks the paws or drinks some of that water in a puddle, a lake, a pond, a retention pond, even in a condo association. It really doesn't matter. And and now the dog potentially has lepto, which dogs can get really, really sick. The other thing, it's zoonotic, which means we can get it from dogs as well. Am I describing this well? And is it somewhat of a concern and a reason potentially, really, not potentially, probably to vaccinate our dogs against lepto? Well, absolutely. We should vaccinate our pets against everything that we really can. But these these rat diseases don't just affect pets. They can affect us, too. And that's everything from, like you said, leptospirosis, but also hantavirus, salmonella, tularemia. There are a lot of diseases that both we and our pets can get from rats. And as you pointed out, they exist in every major city in the world, except Edmonton for some reason. But that's a whole other story. What? Um, Hold hold on here. Nobody wants. Sorry, what's that? I, I did not know this. Edmonton, Canada? Yeah, they have really launched this really intense project where they have said they are going to eradicate rats in their province, and so far they've been successful. Um, It's kind of a very strange success story, and yeah, they've kind of maintained being the only major city uh, that really has no rats or claims to have no rats in any case. Is that because they have polar bears that are doing the rat hunting? I mean, what is it that they're doing? Well, I like to joke that, um, you know, the band Nickelback comes from Edmonton, and I think rats just hate Nickelback. Um, (laughs) <laughs> Barring that, no, actually, they employ a lot of people to actually do sort of rat patrols and to really maintain a lot of monitoring and use a lot of trapping and things just to try to keep them outside of the city altogether. In New York City, they now have uh, packs of dogs that go out. They're controlled by people. They're owned by people, not just wild packs of dogs. And they they go out at night and they hunt rats. I'm, I'm told, I don't know, that it's 
somewhat successful. Yeah, I know that some breeds of dogs have been have been bred for that for generations. So I right. suspect they're fairly good at it. You know, I noticed recently that New York posted a, a job posting for a rat czar, uh, which at <laughs> least I think is a sign that they're trying to take things very seriously with their rats. Obviously, like us, they have a lot of issues with rats in New York City. Yeah, they're not the only ones. Uh, David, you have a question for Dr. Magley. You're on WGN. Hi. Yeah, hi. Um, I'm a volunteer at the Jarvis Bird Sanctuary up there on uh, Addison. We go inside that 15-foot-high uh, uh, compound, and we maintain the area. And we were having a problem about a year ago where every volunteer day, we'd find about two raccoons that were dying. They were like in a coma and there was some kind of disease going around, but we, we weren't completely clear about what it was. They would, we would find them hyperventilating, and they were just lying on the ground. You know, they would eventually die. But so, this happened to so many of them. And I was wondering if you knew anything about this? Um, well, it could be a poison issue or a disease issue. Um, you know, with raccoons, mm-hmm. some people do... Worry about rabies. There actually has not been a recorded case of rabies in raccoons in the state for a very long time, um, so that's kind of unlikely. Uh, but, yes, uh, there are a number of different diseases as well as poisons that can impact raccoons for sure, but, yeah, I would hesitate to speculate. And that's one of the concerns, personally, that I have about uh, people putting out rat. David, thank you very much for the call. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah sorry uh, uh, I was disconnected for a moment there. That's okay. About... Uh, People that have, indeed, uh, put out rat poisoning. So I wanted to ask you quickly about ticks and tick disease. Again, this is the time of year. As the weather warms up, we see more of it. And it impacts not only our dogs, potentially cats with some diseases, but not so much. Our dogs, really. And also, all of us. We're susceptible. So is this... Is this something, and I would argue, and I want your comment on this, we could actually better do a better job by going to the veterinarian and getting the correct product for our dog to protect our dog than we can ourselves. Can you comment on that? And then what can we do to protect ourselves from a whole host of tick disease kicking off with maybe the most well-known, which is Lyme disease? Yeah, there are a number of tick-borne diseases, Lyme disease, babesiosis, anaplasmosis, and now alpha-gal is another one that people are concerned about. The the good news with all of these tick-borne diseases is that you're a very low risk for any of them if you just do, um, you know, pretty vigilant tick checks and remove any ticks that have bitten you as as quickly as you can. Typically, they have to be embedded in your skin for a substantial period of time for you to have much risk of disease. So if you are vigilant when you come back from a hike and you really – Give yourself a good, thorough tick check. Remove any ticks that you find with tweezers. Um, you're very likely to be just fine. Yeah, because it takes a while for that disease. So, but you have to do it immediately after the walk, right? I mean, you can't wait three days. Well, yeah, sooner yeah. is better. So, yes, I certainly wouldn't wait when I get back from field work, which I just did um, actually on Friday. I, that's kind of the first thing that I do is I'll take a shower and do a really thorough check because you, do wanna, you don't want to let that clock go too long. It's true. Yeah. Uh, and also, we need to protect our pets, and the best way to do that is a product through your veterinarian. I have a couple of texts here, sad ones, about people who have lost their dogs to leptospirosis. Uh, they're now vaccinating, but the dogs... So this is real, right? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. And many of these zoonotic diseases um, can be, of course, just as lethal to our pets or more so than they can be 
to us. And we want to be outdoors. We want to be outdoors recreating with our pets, but we want them to be safe. And so it's, it's worth trying to limit your pet's direct contact with wildlife when you can, you know, not letting them come nose to nose with um, either a live wildlife species or, or a carcass or something like that. And also consulting with your veterinarian about what kind of vaccinations or treatments you can get to help keep your pets safe. Now we're talking about ticks. Are opossums our best friends? They do eat a fair number of ticks. And, you know, I think opossums get sort of a bad rep. In the, in the realm of these different species that transmit diseases to us, opossums aren't really too bad. They do get rabies at times, although it's fairly rare. Um, but they're mostly, you know, they're very shy. They're keeping away from us. Um, they're eating a lot of ticks, which is great. And I think people don't like them because they have those long naked tails, right? They kind of look like rat tails. But the reality is, I think they need a better PR agent because opossums <laughs> really are, are pretty cool, and they're mostly doing cool things for us. I agree with you. That's why I brought it up, Dr. Seth Magley, Director of Urban Wildlife Institute at the Lincoln Park Zoo. Who knew the zoo had an Urban Wildlife Institute? I love the Lincoln Park Zoo, and I loved talking to you, Dr. Magley. We'll do it again sometime. Great. Looking forward to it.